Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Small Talk podcast. My name is Katie Fairman, and for today's episode, we are going to take a short view back to the past. Now, I know that we have just finished a triple header of races, but I am going to wind things back to the first race of that triple header and the United States Grand Prix in Austin, Texas. And that is because I was actually on the ground for that event. This has been an event that is bucket list for me. It was also around the time of my birthday. And so when I had the opportunity at the start of the year to pick out the races that I knew I wanted to cover for Formula One and with Sports Illustrated, Austin was definitely at the top of the list. And so for this podcast episode, I thought I would sort of retrace my steps of how Austin went, give you some behind the scenes info, funny stories, and just generally give you an insight into what a weekend of work looks like for me, even though one of the days I was in Paddock Club, which we'll get to we'll get to later but yeah hopefully you guys enjoy this episode I've done a few like this so far this season one for Silverstone one for Zanville and now this is probably going to be the final one of the season but yeah I guess it's like a little paddock diary between me and you like a voice note telling you all about my trip so if that sounds like something for you then you know the drill get yourself a drink get yourself cozy and enjoy this week's episode Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Before I get into any podcasting, I need to play you guys a jingle that I got sent from Dale, which was actually at the beginning of October. So it's been in the Small Talk podcast vault for a very long time, but I never had a chance to record a podcast before I went. And then when I came back, I did the F1 Paddock Rumor podcast last week. So this is a jingle that Dale made for me. And he actually made one in a similar style when I was back at my old job and we did the ABCDEF1. And so there is a small talk podcast version of this Texas jingle. And you know what? I'm just going to have to play it for you because it is the best start to any podcast I think I've ever had. So Dale and your jingle, take it away. the Small Talk Podcast with your old pal, Katie Furman. You know the drill by now. Put that kettle on the stove. Make yourself a brew. Maybe two. Get yourself a nice cup of tea and sell in for the best motor sports podcast this side of the Atlantic. Isn't that incredible? I wish you could have seen my face the very first time I heard that jingle. It is amazing. So thank you again, Dale. I have myself a brew as we speak. I've got a nice strong cup of tea. I've actually gone for a caffeine tea today because since the summer, actually, I've been drinking a lot of decaf tea and I found that it's actually helped me sleep a lot better. Very boring, um, sort of irrelevant note for the podcast. But I am so tired today that I was like, I'm going to have to resort to the full caffeine tea. I need all the energy I can get for this podcast recording. But let's get into it nonetheless. So I arrived in Austin on the Monday and then my first day at the track was a Thursday. I can go into a bit of detail about what I did during those few days, but it's not very exciting. I went on some walks, tried to do as much as I could to see Austin. I went for a walk around, I think it's called Ladybird Lake, which is there. And the podcast I listened to was all about things to do in Austin because I wanted to kind of get my head around where good places are to eat because there are so many places to drink and socialize and historically like what there is to do. I ended up going to the Austin 
Austin, Texas. I think it's just like the General Texas Museum, which was an amazing space. I love museums, especially like state museums and learning about where I am and the history of it and everything like that. But on to actual on-track stuff. So I went and picked up my pass on the Thursday and the Austin paddock is as stars and stripes as you could possibly imagine. All along the paddock there, there is the red, white and blue and stars and stripes and People like Haas and teams like Haas were decorating their garages for the occasion, obviously being an American team, but it was such a cool space to be in. And then I did some wandering around the paddock and spotted a lot of drivers walking in, lots of them who were dressed up for the occasion, I guess you could say. The Alfa Romeo boys have to give a shout out to them because they rocked up in some amazing fits. They had the cowboy hats, they had like fun shirts and the belts with the massive buckles and boots, and they looked the part, they really did. Nobody arrived on a horse I was disappointed by. I was waiting to see a return for Horsey McHorseface, which is what Daniel Ricciardo had last season, but no horses, unfortunately. But yeah, Thursday was a busy day. It was media day, so there were press conferences going on. It was the first weekend back for Daniel Ricciardo. Isn't he doing such an amazing job, by the way? Like, I'm going to have to save some of these thoughts for another podcast, but I'm just so happy that he's been able to have this kind of redemption arc at Alpha Tauri. I know lots of people are calling for him to go to Red Bull, but at the moment, I'm just happy to see him in a car that he's obviously very comfortable and happy with. I mean, the rule that they had for him and Piastri in Brazil just seems so stupid. And like I said, we'll, we'll save that for another podcast, but I am just delighted to see him enjoying a, almost like a second chance, I guess you could call it after everything that happened with McLaren, you know, people were so harsh and saying he's washed, he's this, he's that. And now as soon as he's starting to show more potential and more good results, the people that were calling him washed have changed their minds, haven't they? So anyway, Daniel Ricciardo was back, which which is one of the main headlines of the Thursday. And poor bloke must have had to answer so many questions about his rest and his recovery and his injury and stuff like that. There was a point where I thought I was going to be able to have a one-on-one with Daniel. (laughs) And I was so excited, but under certain circumstances, it didn't end up happening. But it's okay, because I had interviews with some other amazing people, including Yuki Tsunoda. I had a sit down with him. Annoyingly, it seemed that time was quite limited and the schedule had taken quite a hit for Yuki. So I only got about five minutes with him in the end because he was being rushed from one place to another. And five minutes isn't really enough time to sort of ask the questions that I had in mind. In fact, I can see my notebook that has the questions in, but I don't want to get up because I'm really, really comfortable. But I know that in there I had questions more about his childhood, Uh, He used to play the piano when he was a lot younger. So I kind of wanted to ask him about that. And just like the good thing with Sports Illustrated is they encouraged me and it's enabled me to sort of really get to the bottom of each driver as a person rather than be like, oh, how do you think the new upgrade is going to work on the car this weekend? I can actually ask them more normal human questions like what are your favorite films? What have you been binging on Netflix recently? And kind of things that are a bit more informal and casual rather than things that are related to like data and on track stuff. I spoke to Oscar Piastri in the same day. And so he had just come fresh from his Qatar weekend. So we definitely spoke about that. But at the same time, I then was like, well, do you have any sort of superstitions before you get into a car? And how has Mark Webber been as your manager? Has he been taking credit for your recent successes? So there's been a real chance to ask questions I would like to know the answers to rather than sort of stick to like a, how was the degradation on the tyres? that kind of thing there is an audience for it somewhere but just for me it's not really the kind of thing that I you know wake up in the middle of the night and think oh I wonder how the C4 tyres are going to perform in Vegas or something I don't know what tyres there are in Vegas but you know what I mean there are some journalists that ask those questions because there's clearly an audience for it but for me I want to get to the bottom of why Yuki Tsunoda gave up piano lessons hmm? but the kind of questions I had for Yuki There was a kind of a narrative, a storyline with the way that I was going with my questions, sort of opening up with how he's been finding the season, how he's been finding taking on that alpha role, no pun intended. But with Pierre leaving the team, he kind of had to step up as that number one driver with De Vries coming in and then talking about the fact that he has had so many teammates in such a short amount of time, obviously, with Nick and then with Daniel and then Dan 
Daniel went because he had his injury and he brought in Liam and now Daniel's back. And naturally, I think having such a variety of teammates is going to influence the feedback of that car. And I don't know if that's going to have much impact in for 2024, but obviously some things are going to be evident, like a driver's going to say the way that it was steering into these turns just wasn't right. And this is what I would change. But lots of drivers have their own ways of breaking things down, of describing the way maybe the car handles or things like that. And so having such a variety of voices to that car it must be quite a weird one. So yeah, I had all these questions. And then, like I said, ones that kind of went more into maybe him younger. I remember reading a piece that said that he almost gave up racing. And I really wanted to ask him about that time in his life and what it was that changed that inspired him to keep coming back. And I didn't get a chance to ask that because it seems quite <laughs> quite a significant change of being like, hi, Yuki, how are you? How's your weekend going? Because you have to kind of start with some of those questions to warm them into it. And then I didn't want to be like, so when you were 16 years old, however old he was, like you nearly quit racing. Like you kind of need to ease into some of those questions in order to get the best out of a driver. And five minutes just doesn't allow you to do that, which is a bit annoying. But anyway, I still really appreciated the time with with Yuki. So thank you to Alpha Tauri for that. And then later that afternoon, like I said, I had a chat and sit down with Oscar, who is just the most polite, lovely boy I mean, he's very, I think, quite shy. He's obviously still very young and he's coming out of his shell a lot more. Like his sense of humor, I think is just like amazing. And he's also very humble and very modest. And yeah, he's a really lovely guy to interview. I really enjoyed our our chat. It was only about 10 minutes or so, but it was a really fun chat, lots of laughs. We were speaking, like I mentioned earlier, about Mark Webber being his manager and if he's taking credit for his recent successes. And this is one of those things with Mark Webber, I now can't hear the name Mark Webber without thinking of Lando Norris. And hopefully you know the clip. Let me see if I can find the clip. Hold on. So it's from a video that Tomo did with Lando and Oscar at the... I don't even know if it was at the start of the season. It might have even been in the middle when they did the chrome livery, you know? But it's an amazing video. Check it out. Um, And I'll leave a link to it in the podcast description. But it's Lando and Oscar basically creating their ideal F1 team. And in there, I think it's maybe for like team principal or something. Oscar's thinking about what to say. And Lando's like, don't say Mark Webber. And then he says Mark Webber in like an Australian accent. But (laughs) let me just play you the clip. Don't you dare say Mark Webber. I wasn't going to say Mark Mark Webber. Tom, if you're listening to that, please don't copyright strike me. (laughs) But yeah, Lando saying Mark Webber is now the only way I can think of Mark Webber's name being pronounced. But anyway, we spoke about that. We spoke about some of his favorite films, as I was mentioning earlier. Um, We spoke about the fact that his dad and his granddad and like several people in the Piastri line of family were mechanics. And so we were saying like, is that, does that change the way that you drive the car? Do you have more of a mechanical sympathy with that kind of thing? And he was joking and saying, don't think my mechanics would say so, but yeah, he was a really good person to interview. And that interview is actually live now that went out over the Austin Grand Prix weekend. So you can go and read that if it takes your fancy. And then after interviewing Oscar, like this was generally the most surreal half an hour of my life. So I just come away from interviewing Oscar Piastri and then I had to bolt down to the end of the paddock to sit in on a Pirelli hot lap safety demonstration because Mercedes had surprised me with a hot lap with none other than Mick Flippin Schumacher. Like I genuinely could not believe it when they said to me what are you doing this afternoon like 2 45 and I was like well I'm interviewing Piastri and then after that I've got nothing on they were like do you think you can be available for this and I was like uh yeah I'll make myself available like are you joking me and so yeah Mercedes were kind enough to give me this experience there were like lots of different people having hot laps like I saw Alex Jakes there and he was having a hot lap with the lovely James Hinchcliffe Alex Jakes is also equally lovely by the way but yeah everything happened in such a short amount of time so we had our safety briefing then had my helmet fitted looked like an absolute tool but actually it doesn't matter because safety first and then was taken to the basically where the grid happens 
and was given slot number two. So the first person that went out was an ESPN journalist called Lawrence Edmondson, and then he had his lap, and then it was my turn, so I had to get into the car. Didn't do it in a very graceful way. It had a skirt on, which I never seemed to learn my lesson. Like, obviously, I didn't know this was going to happen, but I always seemed to be wearing a skirt in the most inappropriate of circumstances. But anyway, got into the car and shook Mick's hand and was like, hi, nice to meet you, and got belted up and stuff and was thinking, oh my gosh, this is just all so, so crazy. And he was like, are you ready? And I was like, yeah, yeah, ready. And he's like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, just please go. And I wanted to try and capture as much of the hot lap as I could. So I had my phone with me, but I didn't want to be like, I knew it was also being recorded by GoPro. I didn't know if I was going to get the footage, but I wanted to try and capture as much of it. So I started filming and filmed the ascent up to the first turn because it's so steep. I know they always say it on the broadcast, but until sometimes you're in places and you have the perspective, like it really is such a steep climb to turn one. So I was filming some of that on my phone. I was being thrown about in that car like I was jelly like I was all over the place and it's so funny watching back the video because Mick is literally like a statue his center of gravity remains almost like untouched and he's obviously his core is so strong and there's me in the passenger seat like as soon as the brakes are slammed on, I'm flying forward or I'm going into the side of the door or whatever it is. The video that I tried to capture there was just an absolute disaster because I'm like, my phone's going all over the place. So after a while, I was like, Katie, just enjoy the moment. You are currently getting a hot lab with an XF1 driver. And also like Mick just generally is the loveliest, loveliest guy. So I was like, enjoy, just enjoy the experience. Okay. So put the phone down and try to absorb in everything that's going on. It's quite a difficult thing to do because it's such well such a quick lap and there's so much going on and like we're going over the curbs and it's like incredible I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it yeah this hot lap went by so quickly and I really had no perception of how fast we were going until we got back the GoPro footage which annoyingly I can't share as part of the rules of my pass I'm not allowed to film anything in the paddock, which I don't know if some some journalists are. I think if you maybe have a permanent pass, you're allowed to. But on my one event passes, I'm not allowed to film anything. So if I, I don't know, let's say Rory McIlroy was there that weekend. Like if I saw him going down the paddock, I could take a picture of him, but I couldn't film him walking down the paddock because that would be a breach of my pass. So anything to do with filming and around the circuit is not allowed, including hot laps, because I went to the FIA and I asked if I could share it and they were like, no, you can try and get through to like one of the top people at F1, but I don't think it's going to be a yes. And I was like, do you know what? I'll just take some screen grabs from it. It's fine. So I can see the footage and I've sent it to some of like my friends and family and stuff, but I can't share it on social media. What I was trying to get at is that on this clip, it shows you how fast we're going. And there's a point where we're going at like 160 miles an hour. And I just feel like I was doing 40 down, like I was on my way to the shops or something. It didn't feel fast at all, but it was like the most amazing experience. And I could see Mick was grinning like the whole time. I was trying not to make too many stupid noises because I knew that one, I didn't want to have a bad reputation of being the girl that was just constantly like wailing away. But also I knew that I was going to treasure this footage for a long time. So I didn't want to look like an idiot. But yeah, it was the most amazing surprise experience. I literally went into that Thursday having no clue that was going to happen. And so yeah, thank you to Mercedes for that amazing surprise. And was one of many that I got that weekend from the team, which I can tell you more about about after this advert break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the next day is Friday, the 20th of October, which was my birthday. I was 28 years old and I was spending it in Texas at the Formula One. Could life get any better than that? I don't think so. Or maybe it could. Because on that Friday, I was given paddock club access 
by Mercedes. Honestly, these guys were making my dreams come true that weekend. Like I have to give them a shout out for that. And I also have to be transparent and say that I was given the Paddock Club pass in exchange for content about George Russell's Austin collection, which I think is still available now. And actually, I really liked it. It was like a retro kind of theme that they had going on. And I really like the, the collection that he launched there. Mercedes are always really good with their collections, whether that's like Lewis Hamilton and limited edition caps or whatever it may be. Like, check out their merch store if you are a Mercedes fan. But for the Friday, like, it was completely coincidental. Like, they messaged me about it and I was like, oh my gosh, you're offering me Paddock Club on the 20th? That's my literal birthday. So I had the chance to experience that. And as well as obviously being treated to Paddock Club is extremely special. It is an experience that as an F1 fan, like I could only ever have dreamed of before this year. And even during this year, it's, it's still like the most phenomenal experience. But it was so interesting to see it from a media perspective. It was really interesting to see what a team puts on for their fans or maybe sponsors, family, that kind of thing. Because Mercedes had like a really interesting thing going on. For example, they had the uh, live sessions on their TVs so you could watch practice and you could watch qualifying because it was a sprint weekend, except they don't use like the Sky Sports commentary or let's say F1 TV. They had a guy there, I didn't catch his name, but they had a guy there who was doing commentary that was specific to the Mercedes team. There was a point where they were saying, oh, Ferrari have gone 1-2, and obviously if they finish there over the weekend and get points, then that's not going to be very good for us as a team. And I was like, hang on a minute, when did uh, David Croft get so biased? And then I realized, oh, it's not David Croft, it is Mercedes, and they have their own specialized commentary just for Panic Club, which I thought was so interesting. And after every session, they've got a team of like a content team that go into the garage and will bring you interviews with people that are from the garages to say, you know, this is what happened during that session. And this is what we're going to maybe try to look at going into qualifying and that kind of thing. It really was like such a personalized experience for the Mercedes fan I can't tell you what the rest of the teams were like up and down the grid but for Mercedes I thought that was a really special detail and they're obviously really keen to make sure their hospitality is top level and I mean the food and the drink that was on offer was also spectacular like honestly I felt so spoiled like, it was so pinch me and then as part of the experience, I got the chance to do a garage tour, which I don't know how much I'm actually allowed to talk about because we weren't allowed to take our phones in or obviously take any photographs. We got to see um, where like all the headsets were. So for example, we were looking at where the Toto's headset was, Lewis's, George, that kind of thing. They've got one permanently set up for Nicky Lauda with his red cap on, which is such a lovely touch. But we were going through and I was like, VIP guest, VIP guest, Prince Harry, VIP guest, VIP guest. And I was like, is this an inside joke? Or, and they're like, no, Prince Harry is coming on Sunday, uh, but you can't tell anyone about it. Like it has to remain secret. And I was like, Okay, fine. Yeah, it was so cool. We got to see lots of parts of the car up close, which I was like, oh, I can see why they don't now any phones in here. Because if you snuck a cheeky photo and sent that to Red Bull, like obviously we didn't. I completely respected their rules. But just generally, as somebody who was always wanting to learn more about Formula One, it was such an awesome experience to get up close to see how a team like Mercedes, obviously in Brazil, for example, they didn't have the best race, did they? But a team that has been so successful for so many years and produced, you know, some of the best cars that Formula One will probably ever see. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe this year's car isn't included in that list, but previously, obviously, they won so many constructors' championships and helped Lewis win so many drivers. But it was just awesome to experience that level of competition up close and also have to give a shout out to their hospitality team and the teams that were giving the tours because they were so informative and friendly and making sure that we got the most out of our garage tour and yeah that was just the coolest opportunity so I really have to say thank you again to Mercedes for allowing that to happen these are things that I could only have ever dreamed of and so I feel almost a little not uncomfortable talking about it because 
I know that some people that are listening to this might never get a chance to go to a Grand Prix or ever have a chance to experience something like Paddock Club. And like that's that was me. Literally, my first, my only races I've ever been to have been because I've managed to get media accreditation for them. Like I couldn't afford to pay for tickets to Silverstone, for example. Like I'm in a lucky position where I'm able to get the level of access I can because of my media accreditation but I don't want it to come across that I'm just like bragging. Like I really want to kind of emphasize that this is like, I'm living my dream, okay? And I'm just hoping that you guys can be happy for me for that. It's not me trying to go at all, but yeah, I just like, it was a big part of my weekend. So I wanted to talk about it with you, my little internet besties. But as well as the Paddock Club, I also interviewed Zhou Guan Yu that weekend, which was really cool, or that day. Didn't go around telling everybody it was my birthday or anything like that because I thought <laughs> it might seem a bit daft. But yeah, spoke to Zhou, and that interview is also out now if you want to go and read it. If you just type in, this is going to sound really bad, but if you, go- if you Google Katie Fairman Sports Illustrated, then all of my articles that I've done for Sports Illustrated this year will come up. There's like an author page. I know some people ask where they can read the stuff that I talk about on the podcast. That is where. But yeah, we spoke about everything from going from Shanghai to Sheffield, which is quite a change for him. Sheffield is a town, I think is. Is it a town or is it a city in England? Hold up, let me have a look. Sheffield is a city. It is a city in England. And yeah, so going from China to England for his racing career, he was talking about what school was like in England, which is something that I could very much relate to. And actually, it wasn't a question that I had written down, but I said to him, I was like, what subjects did you do in school just out of interest? And he was saying he did art because he loved his fashion and he loved his design. And that's still obviously something that we know now. And he was saying that maybe when the racing career is finished, like he really wants to go into maybe fashion and designing his own clothing range and all that kind of stuff, which I could totally see happening. But then he also took PE, physical education or sports or whatever you want to call it. And then he also took home economics or food tech, we call it in the UK, which is like, yeah, cooking classes at school. And he said that he did it, which I was like, this is big brain energy. He said that he did it because he wanted to be able to spend more time with his racing. And I was like, genius, because I don't know, maybe you wouldn't have as much demanding homework if you did food tech at school I don't know I didn't do it maybe you did and you're like Katie I literally all I had to do for homework is cook all the time and so if that's the case I'm very sorry but he said it's actually become very useful because now he's doing so much traveling and he knows how to cook himself a good meal so I was like that is a smart decision but no really enjoyed chatting with him same kind of thing like a really lovely sweet boy I know I only get like say five ten minutes with these drivers and so I'm only getting a small window into what they're really like but sometimes you can just pick up with the way a driver's mannerisms are like we were talking about his obsession with bubble tea and so I said to him like I'm gonna be honest with you I have never had bubble tea and I'm hoping to go to Shanghai next year for the Formula E race and can you give me some suggestions of where I should go for good bubble tea and so we were talking about that and he was telling me like oh you have to have a certain there's a certain way you have to pay for it because I don't accept cash or something I think he was saying and like yeah it was just a really sweet interaction and like I said that interview is available now on Sports Illustrated if you wanted to read that as well he spoke a lot about the pressures of being the first Chinese driver and how sometimes it was good that you know he has he feels like he's got an entire country behind him but also sometimes that does come with a lot of negative pressures you know if you have an accident or an incident in a race or something like that that is so isolated because you're sort of the one driver whereas let's say in the UK we've obviously got the likes of Lando we have Lewis we have George we have Albin to an extent and so if one of them have a bad race there are other ones to sort of prop up the Brits if that makes sense whereas obviously for him he's the only Chinese driver that's ever been in F1 and been like participated in an F1 Grand Prix so a lot of pressure but anyway I'm waffling on let's talk oh actually there was something quite exciting that happened on the Friday night and I'm gonna tell you about it so as lots of you may know I am a fan of Daniel Ricciardo. I mean, who isn't? Let's be honest. Who isn't a fan of Daniel Ricciardo? But on the Friday evening, Daniel held an event in downtown Austin uh, because he had like basically launched a new range of his Enchante merch, which is lovely merch. And if you have been following me for a while, you will know that I was promised this Enchante merch many moons ago 
and I never received it and I still haven't and that's fine I'm fine honestly (laughs) but on this Friday evening Daniel was hosting this event for his Enchante clothes and one of my very good friends a guy called Nate Saunders who is a great F1 journalist check him out on social media and read his articles and read his stuff because he's so funny and he's also just the loveliest guy but he knew it was my birthday on that Friday and so he said Katie do you want to be my plus one for this event and I was like hell flipping yeah I do this is going to be amazing and so we went to the event I actually went there on my own because Nate and some of his other friends, uh, people like Chris Medland and Lawrence Barreto, were at another event that evening. So I went there on my own. And when I tell you that it was an intimate event, I'm not kidding you. There was probably like 100 people in this place and I didn't know anyone. And I was too socially awkward to go up and say hi to anyone. So I went to the bar, which was a free bar, by the way. And I was like, thank you, Daniel Ricardo." Like... Yes, that Alpha Tarry money is clearly coming in handy. And um, I got myself a drink and basically just sat in the corner of this music venue, um, sipping on my drink, like staring down Daniel Ricardo. He had his cowboy hat on and he was chatting away to all of his friends, people that I like recognize from his Instagram and stuff like that. Not that I'm a stalker, obviously, but it was still like, I was, this is the most weird birthday ever. He eventually went onto stage and introduced some music artists, one of which is a guy called Rob Beard, I think his name was. And he is like country music star. He's got his own guitar. Hey, that rhymed. And um, he was performing some of his songs and really enjoyed that. And then on came a band called Camp. And I'm not kidding you, Camp are one of my favorite bands. And I've got onto them in the pandemic because Ricardo kept posting about them on his stories with, I think he did like three by three. So it was like three songs by three different artists. And obviously he races with the number three and all this kind of stuff. And he would always post about Camp. And so I got into them like a few years ago now and I love them so much so that I was going to go and see them in London I think it was earlier this year but I had no one to go with and I've done it before I've gone to concerts on my own before but I was just like maybe I won't this time but anyway he bought out camp and I lost my mind and so I like ran to the front of the crowd and I was singing along and I was just having the best time and by this point, Daniel had, he'd left the building and make it sound like it's Elvis. He'd, he'd gone home because it got to like 10 p.m. And I was like, babes, you have sprint shootout and sprint tomorrow. You need to get an early night. I felt very like mother hen of you should get yourself to bed. So he had gone by this point, which is absolutely fine. Yeah, I was stood there enjoying watching camp. And then one of, well, the main guy from the band got off the stage picked me out from the crowd and we had a dance in front of everyone and by this point you've got to remember I was having some drinks in paddock club because I had finished with my work for the day it was my birthday I was letting my hair down a little bit I was having a living my best life okay and then I'd gone to this Ricardo event which had an open bar and so at this point let's say I was a little bit tipsy okay and so the idea of dancing with the main singer from one of my favorite bands seemed like the best thing ever I was going full main character energy on my birthday okay guys you've got to let this slide but we had this little dance up at the front Jess McFadgen or sorry Jess Medland I should now say um was also there and bless her she afterwards she was like oh my god I got that on film and I was thinking oh my gosh it's gonna be amazing the next day we all kind of sobered up a little bit and she sent it to me and it's literally like seven seconds at the very end moment of this dance but I don't mind like I know it happened and I was yeah the universe was being very kind to me on my birthday but it was just incredible um I didn't get any merch (laughs) which it seems to be a like still a running thing and actually I'm quite enjoying that it seems to be an ongoing joke for some context oh my gosh this is going into a long podcast guys for some context where I used to work um I wrote an article when George Russell rocked up in the paddock in Enchante merch and I put in the article by the way Daniel if you're reading this I'm a size medium get in touch as a joke anyway I then get a message through from Daniel on the WTF1 account that says send me your address and I'll get something sent over to you and Tommy actually saw this DM first and made me react to it live on a Twitch stream or a YouTube stream or something like that and like 
I lost my mind. Like I was so excited. Like I've said, Daniel is one of my favorite drivers and the idea that he had seen my article and was offering to send me something, I died like straight up. And so everybody on the stream also saw this happen and have been constantly asking, when's Katie going to get her merch? Like even when I think Matt recorded something with him recently and they were putting out teasers for the video and people were still tagging me and I love you for it. Like keep doing it. It's funny. But people were still tagging me being like, has Katie Femme got her merch yet? Has Katie got her merch? So the answer is still no, but we're getting closer, guys. Honestly, it feels like when the day comes or if the day comes where I actually am given a piece of merch, honestly, I'm not even asking for the most expensive piece. I'm happy to receive one of the cute little bracelets, but I just feel like it's a fun story and a fun thing that is keeps going on. So that was my birthday in Austin. What a freaking birthday. I honestly think it's going to be almost impossible to top. But Saturday, like, let's let's get on to another day. This is going to end up being like the longest podcast episode ever. Saturday was equally as busy. Maybe not as bougie, but equally as busy. I had a interview with Rory McIlroy, who is a golfer, if you're not aware. And I know nothing about golf. I was invited as part of a round table and Rory McIlroy, as well as Anthony Joshua, who was there the following day, um, have both invested in the Alpine F1 team. And so there was a lot of talk about why, I guess you could ask why. And his responses were quite interesting. He's been a huge motorsport fan for a long time. And in fact, I'm so annoyed at myself because I had um, an episode of Formula for Success, which is David Coulthard and Eddie Jordan's F1 podcast, which I've only started listening to in the last month. And it's so good and so many interesting insights. I mean, Eddie Jordan's brain works in... (laughs) weird and wonderful ways let's just put it that way but there was a clip about how uh, Rory McIlroy lived with Eddie Jordan and I had this episode saved and I listened to it on my flight back from Austin but I was thinking oh gosh why did I not get that episode before and I could have asked him about it because I think that would have provided some quite interesting answers but anyway uh, Rory was talking about especially the mentality side of it and how he can help Esteban and Pierre with that And it was a really interesting roundtable. Once again, it's available to read on Sports Illustrated if you want to go and check that out. But um, he joined Esteban and Pierre at the front of the Alpine garage at one point and they did some kind of putting exercise. In fact, in Austin, I tried golf for the very first time. On the Tuesday evening, a group of F1 journos were going to Top Golf, and so I was invited along, having never played golf before, and managed to finish second in my first go. So, I mean, it's completely beginner's luck, but uh, yeah, the guys were very sweet. People like Luke Smith, Chris Medland, Nate was there again, um, and a few others. And so that was a really cool, fun experience. Like, putting myself completely out my comfort zone because golf and me like really have never ever crossed paths but I I know it's only top golf and it's not proper golf but I really enjoyed it so I can see why these F1 drivers are just obsessed with the golf the golf oh my god I sound like such a millennial then on a Saturday afternoon I had a one-on-one interview with my favorite Pirelli hot laps driver Mick Schumacher And there were, same thing, like a wide variety of subjects covered. We spoke about, obviously, his role with Mercedes, what it's like being a team where his father was for the end of his F1 career. We spoke about his relationship with Vettel, Race of Champions, and how he has enjoyed doing that. It was just like a big variety of things covered, and that is going to be coming out later, probably this month, maybe ahead of Vegas. Uh, Yeah, really interesting chat with Mick, and it was... A nice chance to actually have a conversation with him because there was no chance at all for that during the hot lap it was literally like a hi you okay yeah you ready to go let's go screaming and then the lap is finished <laughs> so it was nice to actually have a chance to interview him and then it was sprint time so we'd had the sprint shootout at this point sprint time which I managed to get a grid pass and grid passes are never gonna 
ever get old. It's so cool to be close to the action, although it is absolute chaos. Like I'm constantly paranoid that I'm accidentally going to walk into somebody really important or tread on a piece of car or something along those lines. But you just try and absorb it as much as you can. Um, And it's, like I said, such a privilege to be able to get so close to these cars. And obviously the drivers as well is really cool. You know, take some snaps for the gram. (laughs) But uh, no, that was a cool experience. And then sat in on the press conference after that. And then comes Sunday. And Sunday, race day, had my interview with Anthony Joshua. He's very tall, which is, comes to a surprise to nobody. He's a professional boxer, a, oh God, heavyweight boxer? It wouldn't be a small talk podcast if I wasn't Googling half of the stuff. British professional boxer, two-time former unified world heavyweight champion, apparently. But anyway, he's very tall. And um, we were chatting away with him. Same kind of thing. He's been to quite a lot of F1 races. I know that he'd been a guest of Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton a few times. And he's another person that has invested in the Alpine F1 team. And so same kind of questions were asked, like, why have you done it? What can you bring to the team? But Anthony Joshua was saying that he loves to go-kart. And then said that, obviously, with him being... How tall is he? Like, six foot something? He is... Oh, that's not very helpful. One metre, 98 centimetres. I need this in foot. He's six foot six, according to Wikipedia. So, somebody's put celebheights.com. Anthony Joshua's six foot five and three quarters. It's a very precise measurement. But the guy's tall and he's heavy. We were joking and I was like... I can't believe I actually said this. I had a bit of, like, word vomit. But I was like, oh, so I could probably beat you in a go-kart race. And I'm thinking, Katie... Don't say that to a professional athlete who could take you out with one fatal swoop. Like, you think, but actually he took it really well and we had a laugh about it and I was like, Haha. so can this actually happen? Because that would be quite a cool thing if I could say I'd beat Anthony Joshua in a go-kart race. But only simply, no skill involved, just because I'd be much lighter than him. Yeah, that was a really nice experience in speaking to him and then shook his hand and it was literally like his hand was three times the size of mine and I was like, oh my gosh, this is stressful. Prince Harry appeared, which as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we knew was going to happen, walking around the paddock. I also saw Elon Musk, who arrived an hour after lights out, which was great. Uh, So missed all of the interesting bit, but I think he was there in the Mercedes garage and he showed up with one of his kids, which I'm not even going to Google the name because there's no way I'd be able to pronounce that even if I tried. But who are... Oh, (laughs) the weirdest crossover. So... Come Sunday, managed to get another grid sticker. Thank you, Kota. Thank you, FIA. Whoever it is that decides these, like I said, amazing opportunity. But I was so keen to get to the front of the grid because I wanted to take pictures of the drivers as they were watching the national anthem. That actually, in hindsight, I didn't really appreciate and take in as much of the grid order and like what was going on in the grid. Ran to the front. And then, men, I got a really good seat, but like a few moments before the national anthem started, I had this person push past me and go, sorry, uh, if you stand here, stand here. And like brought these two guests to the front and they stood them next to me. And it was Joe Rogan, (laughs) which I don't listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, but I know who he is and I know that he's a big deal. And I know lots of people like his podcast. And so, yeah, he was just stood next to me and I was like, oh, hi. (laughs) He was like, hello. And then just didn't speak to him. I didn't want to be like, I actually have a podcast as well. Because I thought this guy wants probably nothing to do with anyone else. He's just there to enjoy his time, experience F1. He doesn't need to have some British girl chatting his ear off. So we just stood there in an awkward silence. But yeah, it was one of those things I like looked at him. I was like, that's Joe Rogan. Then of course the race happened. And then afterwards I went to go and watch the podium, which is something that you don't often get to do if you're media, but there's quite a long wait time between the podium and then the press conference and people going to the media pen and such. So I managed to sneak around and watch that unfold, which of course wasn't the final podium because Hamilton, who was on there in second place, was investigated and ultimately disqualified as was Leclerc. I will do a podcast on... I'm going to do a podcast, I think, about rules that I would like changed for next year. Obviously, there's probably none of them are going to be changed, but I've been making a note over the course of the season of things that I'd like to see tweaked for next year, and that's going to be included in there. Um, So if you want a spicy take on that situation, then you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, that was a decision that also took ages. Like, 
us journos in the media center were like waiting for what felt like ages to get a result through. Um, but no, it was just generally a pretty crazy weekend. And I then went to the press conference afterwards. It was quite funny, actually. So Lewis and Max, as I mentioned, were on the podium. And we were waiting for Lando for quite a long time. I'm not sure where he was. It was just Lewis and Max on that white sofa. If you've ever seen any of the clips from like press conferences, then you'll know what I'm talking about. And it was quite awkward, actually, because Lewis and Max really weren't trying to like, well, Max was trying to talk to Lewis, basically. And Lewis was just so zoned in on his phone that Max was trying to make all these kind of jokes to Lewis. And Lewis just didn't care. He was like, every so often he'd look up and be like, huh, yeah. And then go straight back to looking at his phone again. Yeah, I took some funny pictures of it where like Max is like in the middle of conversation and Lewis is just looking at his phone. It's a bit like when you're trying to talk to oh my mum's gonna hear this but sometimes when you're trying to talk to your mum about something and she's just like so zoned in on her phone <laughs> sorry mum um but yeah it was kind of giving off that energy that was pretty much Austin summarized oh actually I haven't told you about my potential drive to survive cameo in fact this is a funny thing to end on so let's end it on this so on the Thursday afternoon evening has unveiled their I say new car it was pretty much new because it had so many upgrades on it and also the stars and stripe livery that it was bringing onto it and so Haas presented this car and then invited members of the media to go to their motorhome afterwards to celebrate with some Chipotle burritos Chipotle being one of their sponsors and oh, let me pull up the names of these burritos because some of them were pretty crazy um the burritos are a messy food anyway and I have like such social anxiety with eating really messy foods I'm the kind of person that would try and eat a burrito with a knife and fork if I could like I will always try and get a burrito bowl rather than an actual burrito because I'm so anxious about the idea of me making a mess or spilling it down my front or just looking silly eating this food so I was like oh my gosh I'm gonna have to eat these burritos but the first one was called the Meaty Magnuson. Second one was Hungry Hulk. Third was the Sizzling Steiner, which is the one that I went for. And then there was a veggie burrito one. And I posted a picture of this in a poll on Instagram saying, which one would you go for? And so many people commented and said, how could they not be more creative with veggie burrito? Surely there's got to be a has pun in there somewhere. And actually there was, and somebody sent me it on Instagram. Okay, the handle on Instagram is Mike Cobella. I think that's how it's pronounced. And they said they didn't name the fourth one, the veggie burrito. They had one job, which actually, so veggie is like Jean Haas, veggie, veggie. But actually saying it out loud, actually it sounds quite inappropriate. So maybe that's why they didn't call it that. Yeah, there had to be a Haas pun in there somewhere. But anyway, my drive to survive cameo, which I'm really hoping doesn't make it. But like I said, I really didn't like eating this burrito. It was so messy. And anyway, I was hungry. It was a free dinner. It was really yummy. But I was eating away. And then I, at the corner of my eye, I could see two people standing sort of near me. And whilst I'm gobbling down this burrito, I look up. And sure enough, it's Lawrence Barreto talking to Gunter Steiner. And it's being filmed and there's a boom mic, and I recognise the guys, and they're from Drive to Survive. And I was like, are you joking me? I'm gonna... <laughs> Am I going to be in the back of a scene of Drive to Survive, chomping down on this messy burrito, like already have this social anxiety about eating in public, and now I'm going to be in, potentially in the back of freaking Drive to Survive? <laughs> I was like, are you joking me? So I'm really hoping that that scene is cut because, or it's cropped or something, because I do not want that ending up on freaking Netflix. This is how I make my Netflix debut as Burrito Girl 1 or something in the end credits. But yeah, anyway, I've had it once before, actually. This will be like the final thought of the podcast. I had it once before where Formula E had a documentary made called And We Go Green, and it was done by Fisher Stevens, which actually is the guy that's recently done the Beckham documentary. So if you enjoyed the Beckham doc, then I would suggest you check out And We Go Green. As a slight disclaimer, they do have content in there to do with Jules Bianchi because Jean-Eric Verne is talking about the incident, and it personally sits 
pretty uncomfortably with me that they've got that footage in there. So as a disclaimer, I just want to let you guys know that if you do watch it and you're, you know, extremely sensitive to that issue, like I am, that there's a warning for you. But the documentary itself is very good. And they filmed a lot of my friend Hazel Southwell for this documentary as a championship journalist. And so she features heavily in it. And there was one, uh, where would it have been? Was it Berlin, maybe? Anyway, it was at one of the races and they were filming her a lot and getting a lot of B-roll. And there was a section where she was sitting at one of the media desks in the media center. And I was there and one of my friends, Rob Watts, was there. And they were like, okay, Hazel, if you could just pretend to have a conversation with some of your journalist friends, maybe talk about if we thought that a penalty in a race was fair or something along those lines. Anyway, we're having this conversation and the whole time I'm thinking, oh no, I have just been up to the food, the catering, and I have bought myself back some cake. (laughs) This is so embarrassing. I bought myself back some cake from where the media center food was, except I couldn't decide on what flavor I wanted. And sometimes media center food is so hit and miss that I went for multiple options. And so we're having this conversation about this stupid penalty or whatever. And next to me is a plate of chocolate cake and then another plate stacked on top of it with say vanilla and then another one stacked on top of that of like carrot cake and so I had this tower of cakes <laughs> next to me in the media center and this whole interaction is being filmed for this like documentary and I'm just sat there with this leaning tower of different flavored cake and Fortunately, it never made the cut, but I was like, imagine if that made it into the documentary and like the one small clip you see of me is me. Oh, that's the girl with the three types of cake next to her. And um, yeah, I was like, this is really, I really hope this doesn't make it in, especially as I think Leonardo DiCaprio was like an executive producer. And I was like, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to have seen me in a, this documentary. However, there's going to be all this cake there. But anyway, it didn't make it in, which... I am glad about, but I also think it would have been really funny. Um, so who knows if this burrito moment will make it into Drive to Survive season five, I think we're coming on to now, but fingers crossed it doesn't, but it would be quite funny. So we'll wait and see. Thank you so much for listening to this mammoth episode. I'm so sorry that it has been such a long one, but I really enjoyed recording it and hopefully you did too. If you want more kind of podcasts like this, then let me know for the future. And if you have enjoyed a longer episode, also let me know. But for now, I'm going to stop talking because I'm surprised I've got any voice left. It's been nearly an hour of recording. Um, But I'm going to sign off here and say thank you again for listening. Please be sure to give the podcast five stars if you're enjoying it. There will be a mailbox episode coming soon. I promise you that. And I will catch you in the next episode. Take care. Have an amazing week. Enjoy this time before Vegas. And I will speak to you very, very soon. Bye.